The Cape Up Podcast is sponsored by Pharma, where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. Visit GoBoldly.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Jordan Klepper is the host of Comedy Central's The Opposition, a show that channels the conspiratorial rantings of Alex Jones and Infowars and satirizes them for our amusement. We talked about the show, how he does it in an age where the comedy of real life tops what comedians can come up with, and where our viewing habits add to the complexity of his job. And we talk about what Klepper was looking forward to most at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. This conversation was originally recorded for our Cape Up Live show on April 27th and has been edited for content and clarity. Look at that. Look at this. Wow. Wow. And you came out in the rain. <laughs> Thank you yes. very much. Hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post, opinion writer, I have to make that clear, and host of the Cape Up podcast. Thank you for, very much for being here. And the guest today, this fine young man sitting next to me, um, Daily Show alum. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Second City alum. Also true. Upright I've... Citizens Brigade alum. Also true. Get to the fake news. I know it's coming. And host of the opposition on Comedy Central, Jordan Klepper. Yes. Also true. All true things so far. Right. Although I do have to admit that I always freak out before I say your last name and triple check every time because of the segment you did on, I think it was a member of Congress who kept calling you Kepler. Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> who, was th- who was that? You know what? It wasn't a member of Congress, oh. although probably eventually it could be. It was Alex Jones oh, from InfoWars. Oh, Wars. yeah. Talk about fake news. <laughs> this is already, I see how it's happening. That's why you're an opinion writer, right? Yes. That's, <laughs> right. That's why you have Fully to make formed. that very clear. Yes. Fully formed opinion. <laughs> no, we, we went into, uh, we, went, uh, we did a piece on Alex Jones uh, and, and when he went all in on crisis actors. Uh, we were not perhaps the most flattering when we approached him with that piece, and he spent 30 minutes the next day just calling me Jordan Kepler. So uh, he knew what he was doing. So we embraced that, and we also were, became anti-Jordan Kepler as well. So <laughs> he, in, in both of our minds, is a villain in this world. Well, you know, you're in the slot that was occupied by Stephen Colbert, who channeled um, Bill O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. And now, as we already let the cat out of the bag, you are channeling Alex Jones. Uh, Partially. Yes. Partially, yes. Partially. Yeah. Well, who else are you channeling? Is, this, is there another conspiracy theorist out there? There are so many people inside of me. I got to tell you. <laughs> there, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. There's there's one in the Oval Office right now. Uh, I think when we were creating this show, um, I was at the Daily Show and I was going on the road a lot uh, to Trump rallies and talking to a lot of people um, about where they were getting their news from and their information. And a lot of it was coming from social media feeds um, and not traditional sources uh, like CNN or your Foxes. There was some Fox, but there was also Infowars, Breitbart, and what have you. And so we wanted to craft a show uh, through a character's point of view. And Infowars, they kept referencing as like this conspiratorial mindset. And so we wanted to take uh, a dash of that conspiratorial sense, some far-right focus, you know, a little bit, a little bit of Hannity and Tucker in there as well. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a nice hodgepodge of some fringier beliefs. But isn't that already comedy from your perspective? <laughs> I mean, you watching, hearing all these things, how do you not laugh or cry? I, I think it's a mixture of both. It's we were definitely surprised how how fringy some of these.
these points of view became, but but seeing Alex Jones, seeing Steve Bannon, who seemed like a fringe character a year and a half ago, suddenly being the ear of the president of the United States. Still. It, still. And, and so I think for us, what did seem like, well, this, this doesn't hold any sway, and so it's not something worth satirizing. It immediately started to hold sway, and so for us it was like, this might seem ridiculous, but so does 2018, so let's, <laughs> let's live in that and try to heighten from it. Okay, so you, as I mentioned, you're, you're an alum of The Daily Show, um, where the, the bent of that show is the mirror, it's the exact opposite. Of, of what you're doing now. How do you flip that switch from being sort of progressive in your, in your comedy and satire to taking on this role of being a very serious yet conspiratorial well, I think character? Is that right? Character, yeah. I'd say character. Is that how you do it? I, well, I think you, you filter it through character and point of view. And for me, you know, what was great about the position I had on The Daily Show, the role of a correspondent on The Daily Show, you, you have your name, you are who you are, but you are a, a dumber, more strident news person version of who you are. And so <laughs> the, the character that I was on The Daily Show was Jordan Klepper, but he was a dumber version of Jordan Klepper. He had a larger blind spot than Jordan Klepper had. And I think you could filter, uh, filter a character through that and attack stories. And so for me, that's always actually how I've approached comedy, because I come from the Operating Citizens Brigade second city which is a sketch so you 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 play character you satirize behavior and uh, so in creating the opposition what I was most excited about wasn't being just earnestly upset about stuff it was like let's show some of those flaws let me widen my blind spot and be the characters that we're seeing on television as opposed to just talking about them talk about the the pressure you are under or that you that you might feel being in the slot at 11.30 that used to be the home of Stephen Colbert? I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's humbling. Comedy Central put a lot of faith in me, giving me the 11.30 show. Uh, the Colbert Report was one of my favorite shows, watching what Stephen did after The Daily Show. As a fan of The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, Larry Wilmore's show, The Nightly Show. Like, really strong, smart people have, have had that position. And so, you know, as somebody coming up as a fan of The Daily Show, uh, you know, being able to be in a position like that and host my own show was a, was a dream that I had. And so getting that opportunity, yeah, it's, it is a lot of pressure. And I think in 2018 as well, as a comedian, as a citizen, you feel, you feel pressure to be a part of the conversation and say something that is uh, worth hearing. And so for us every day when we come into work, I think like, you know, we, we try not to get bogged down by it, but we, we do take it seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like we need to get this dick joke just right. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I just it, don't know if America can stand. <laughs> well, technically speaking, how do you put together a 30-minute television show in an age when people aren't watching television that they're getting their they're getting their comedy and their news and everything in bits and pieces yeah I think that's that's something we've started to see the evolution of so quickly since even three years ago when I started at the Daily Show so many people I know are are watching these clips on YouTube are boiling things down to four minutes I think for us 
uh, a benefit of starting a new show is you learn a lot of things quickly. You try a bunch of stuff and you see what sticks and you start to shave off things that don't work. And so we even started doing in a more traditional daily show uh, route, you know, eight minute acts that are focusing on one story and taking you through a more editorial process, uh, which was fun and nice to uh, nice to do. But we also saw people digesting and uh, digesting smaller bits and pieces. Also, the news was happening so quickly. It felt like, oh, are we going to do uh, an entire eight minutes on the Pruitt hearings? Like, if, if you did that <laughs> well, yesterday, that you would miss. the comedy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, who, who doesn't want Pruitt jokes for eight straight minutes? <laughs> but, like, yesterday was a great day where, a uh, great example of a day where, like, oh, the day before, uh, we knew that Scott Pruitt was going to talk on Capitol Hill. So it was, uh, we were like, maybe we'll talk a little bit about this. But in the morning, the president calls into Fox and Friends and talks for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> Bill Cosby is convicted uh, and is guilty uh, by 3 o'clock that afternoon. And so for a show like us, we, we decided to compartmentalize and make what we call ice cube trays so we can hit three different stories. And so an audience who might not be watching linear television can watch one of those little trays, one of those little three minutes, so that it feels packaged, uh, so you can enjoy it as a whole, but can also understand it uh, when it's broken up into smaller pieces. So then how does the, well, in television, and I'm, by that I mean in my role at MSNBC, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes breaking news will just upend everything. And you've got to change everything. You've got to do it on the fly. Do you have those same considerations and concerns doing your show? So let's say the president called in to Fox and Friends uh, in the morning, but then maybe he calls into the Fox show at 5 in the <laughs> afternoon. What time do you tape? We tape at about 6.30. Okay, so perfect. The president yep. calls at 5 in the afternoon and then says some wacky stuff. Yes. Do you turn on a dime and change what you're going to do 90 minutes before air? I, we have to be ready to... Or tape, I should yes, say. Yes, yeah. we, we have to be ready to do that. I think... Uh, Initially, as somebody who was new to hosting, the first few months you feel the pressure like we need to cover everything. And it's just constant anxiety because there is so much news and it becomes, your job becomes more uh, uh, being a curator than it is a creator. And I think well, we have to take a step back and be like, all right, we are not a news program. We are, we're editorializing, we're an opinion program. We don't have to cover anything. Let's cover the things we're passionate about. Let's also cover the things our show is built to cover and cover uh, from a comedic point of view and what do we have something to say about. And so when you let that go, then you don't have to feel completely pressured, mm -hmm. but we do leave spots open. Like for example, yesterday we had breaking news in a rewrite at five o'clock about Bill Cosby and it was like, we feel like we do need to address this. Now literally our show has graphics and a bunch of other elements that are already in place right. and it's like, great, we have 40 minutes to turn this thing around. Let's scrap and cut two and a half minutes from the script that we've already worked. Let's write uh, two minutes of content that we can slide in the beginning. And that's why we've uh, created kind of little spots where that can live. And then let's let's put that on at 6.30. Okay, so in, in the news realm, you know, you're just dealing with, here's what happened, here's who said what, mm -hmm. uh, here are the implications. Let's go to this correspondent, that correspondent, and then you go to a commercial break, you come back, more breaking news. But with your job, how do you, again, like yesterday, in like spinning on a dime, not only talk about the news, but then add the satire and the comedy? That's an extra level of um, hurdle. I don't think, no, I can't clear. Yeah, no, well, no, no, we are, like, there's, there's, there's journalists and there's comedians. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
And I think you've articulated it beautifully. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are at the top. Oh of the no, hill. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, but it Go is. On. <laughs> I will say what is what is interesting about it is you're right. Like news does break, and for us. Uh, it's not just good enough to say, like, we need to inform people. The, the purpose of our, our show is not to inform people of the news. I hope they seek out news sources to get that. We need to ask that second question of, like, do we have something to say about this if we don't have a spin on it? And also through the point of view of our show, which is a little bit of a weird dance, because often I can't just say a funny thing about it. I'm usually saying a funny thing about it from the point of view of a character who would say the terrible thing about it. And, and that's a difficult, mm. difficult road to walk. And so we do the math, we run the calculations, and if we don't have something to say, we move on and we focus on the thing that we can execute. How many horrible things have you guys come up with <laughs> that have never made, made air, internet, <laughs> anything? Uh, 1,024, I think was the last <laughs> count. Uh, I mean, you have to in a creative process, you have to push those boundaries, and I think we are, I am this character who lives fringe, who plays in the conspiratorial world. Uh, when we are looking at those sources, sometimes it goes so dark, and then we try to push the character that I play, because uh, I think I think this character is selfish, he's privileged, he's a little bit dangerous. I don't think he's a terrible person, but I do think he's a bit of an a-hole in a way that, like, <laughs> I think, like, if we can, if we can push some of those flaws that you see happening in America, if you can see somebody who's oblivious on race, who's oblivious on sexuality, uh, then hopefully we can get something that's really, really interesting and insightful. But you got to be very careful because then, if you don't, if you don't thread that needle, you run the risk of just being offensive. And well, so I think that's where sometimes we will do that, and we'll be like, great. Uh, we attack that idea. I don't think we nailed that, or I don't think the show was built to talk about that. Like again, Bill Cosby last night was a great example of like, this is this is a, a really uh, a difficult situation. You have real victims here. There's a sense of uh, urgency and victory on a day like yesterday. Uh, I can't just be a bad guy here. I have to let the audience know what my real point of view is. So let's make sure we get it right. So before you got the show, the opposition where you play this right-wing fringe conspiracy theorist. You had a, a special on Comedy Central. This was last year. Yes. Jor Jordan Kepler solves guns. Klepper. Ow! Klepper. What did I say? What did I say? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> They've gotten to you, haven't they, Jonathan? They have. <laughs> they have. I'm sorry. Right. Well, it, it, you solve guns. I saw, yes, Jordan Klepper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan Klepper solves guns. You solve guns. Um, it was an hour-long special, mm -hmm. and talk about what you were trying to do with that special. Well, uh, an, am uh, an amazing thing about my job at The Daily Show is you get to cover a lot of stories. You get to go out into America and meet people. Uh, I started covering uh, stories around gun violence. Uh, I did a story where I, I followed this idea of the good guy with a gun is the only thing that could stop a bad guy with a gun. And I did active shooter training down in Texas and got to talk to people on both sides of the argument and saw a lot of middle ground in that conversation. And with the militia, you, you, the, the training that you did was with the militia. Well, for the uh, that was a Daily Show thing, but when I went to, when I did the Solves Gun yeah. thing, uh, so from the Daily Show thing, I was like, I want to, I want to, I want to basically explore this even further. And so let's see where the middle ground is and talk to both sides. So with Jordan Klepper solves guns, 
I wanted to talk to people who are far fringe and went to the Georgia militia. Uh, yes. Georgia militia. <laughs> that's that's where the camouflage suit. Yes. Okay. That's where. Well, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that camouflage suit in a second. Well, in the end, you create comedy so that you get a cool suit to wear, and I think uh, you've stumbled on what it is. It's, uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to deal with uh, the intricate uh, uh, elements of the gun control debate, but I am going to put on a camouflage suit and walk into the Georgia woods and confront a militia who are taking target practice. Uh, and again, that's why comedians are here and journalists are just down here, because they don't have the guts to take a sartorial choice and put themselves in the line of fire. You've never, well, literally in the line of fire, but clearly you've never seen me. Okay, so, but I bring up the camouflage suit. So you see Jordan's suit right now. He walks out into the Georgia woods with camouflage-clad militiamen in the woods with big guns, and he comes out in a, in a suit cut like this in camouflage yes. with a matching camouflage tie. <laughs> and as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, okay, he's already in sort of a dangerous place, talking to people about eh, a serious situation. And he comes walking out into the woods like this. Do, I, Walk me through this process <laughs> of how you are not also wearing a Depends undergarment. <laughs> it, was a, it was a scary day. We, uh, we rolled up on this Georgia militia, which is a fringe militia group. Uh, it has some, some fringe beliefs, but they were very eager to uh, talk about uh, the Second Amendment and talk about defending America. And every, every month they have this training ground where they come, they shoot guns, they run exercises. We were scared coming up, we, we roll up, and I will say, we roll up, and what we realize is there's two other news crews there that same day. Uh -huh. And you quickly realize it's like, oh, these people love attention. Um, they, the two other news crews left, and then we kind of started to embed with them. Uh, we ran through training, we did all these things. Uh, they were fairly extreme, and I knew in my back pocket it was like, our job here is to, in that situation, I'm playing more of a leftist uh, character who was confronting these guys on their points of view. I knew, I'm like, I am going to put on one of these camouflage suits, and I have, don't know how this is going to go with these guys. Uh, I put it on, I walk, walk in, they're shocked, I look at their eyes, and it immediately ingratiated myself to them. All of them wanted one of these suits. <laughs> they literally so did. Some of those guys can't they, fit into those <laughs> that suits. That may be true. Yeah. Well, there would have to be some tailoring. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was amazing how, like, because it was, it was like, we have this joke in our back pocket. It's been a tense day so far. I've already interviewed a handful of people, and they were very skeptical about what uh, what I had to say. Uh, so we didn't know how it was going to play, but I was I was, I was was happily surprised to see that Everybody wanted to take a picture with the suit, touch the suit. <laughs> oh, touch, touch the, suit. the suit. Like, uh, I think if you go back into the, the Georgia woods now, you're going to just see a bunch of men in camouflage suits. <laughs> or if they do it right, you won't see them. But no, if you look into the woods, <laughs> if you look into the Georgia woods, there, there are well-tailored militia men hidden in the trees. Hidden, hidden among, amongst the trees. <laughs> amongst the trees. The K-Pop Podcast is sponsored by Pharma where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. So here's to the fearlessness to fail so success can follow, and to the patients helping to find the breakthrough that might save their lives, and perhaps one day, yours. Welcome to the new era of medicine, where together we go boldly. A message from America's biopharmaceutical companies. Visit GoBoldly.com. So in, in Jordan Klepper well done. solves guns, 
you're coming at it from the left perspective. In the opposition, you're coming at guns from the opposite mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. And you came to Washington for the March for Our Lives. I did. And talk to people. Mm -hmm. It's a completely, complete opposite mm -hmm. of to you solving guns. But I've always wondered, and I'm glad to have someone who's in the craft of comedy versus journalism <laughs> to ask this question. When you go up to people, as you did with the militia, but then you go up to people in the March for Our Lives and you say things like that, like how do they, I mean, I saw what we saw on, on camera, but how do they take it? Are they taking you seriously or are they really? Ideally, I mean, yes, you don't, they are taking me seriously. But you don't give them any like, hey, I'm from the show and I'm gonna do this. And, I will like, like you know, so, you some people will recognize me but still want to engage in the conversation for sure. You know, we, we are very open about who we are and, and we're like, you know, we're from the opposition, can I ask you questions? Uh, what, uh, what we want in ideal moments are we don't want somebody in on a joke playing along with us. What, what we want is I can be the buffoon here, but hopefully I'm highlighting real people with real beliefs, uh, and that's where the comedy comes from, and that's where the point of view comes from. Uh, we actually had a few students from Parkland on, on the opposition uh, a few months back, and what was amazing, like they knew the conceit of the show, but it was like, I need you to be on here to talk about uh, this issue and how it affects you. Um, uh, they knew that I was going to be somebody who was going to push back, who was going to be this far-right perspective. At that time, the narrative was, don't trust these kids, they're just kids. Uh, there was the crisis actor idea that was getting bandied about. And so I pushed them a little bit, and it was, uh, you know, it, was, it was a delicate balance, but I asked the students afterwards like how that was for them, and their response was really interesting to me. They were like, oh, I enjoyed it. It was like talking to the internet. And, <laughs> and, and you realize, like, these, these are students who were, have been getting trolled. They're like, oh, yeah, the stuff that you're saying back to me is the, the stuff that I, just because I've become a public person in the last week, this is the hate that I've been getting. And so for them, it was refreshing to actually be able to push back against that. Mm -hmm. And I think at its best, uh, we're providing a platform and an opportunity to hear that voice. Can you talk more about the, the Parkland, as I call them, Parkland kids, and not in a derogatory yeah. way, but in a laudatory way, because um, they're so remarkable for being so young and what they're doing. What do you what do you think of them? I will say as a generation, I'm I'm incredibly impressed, and I they've been like uh, they've been an optimistic ray of hope in in a debate that hasn't had that for a while. I like having them on the show. They were very articulate. They have lived through this, and they were they were impatient. And I think that was something that I was so excited to see. And then able to go to the the rally, I talked to other Parkland students, but I also talked to other students, other 17-year-olds, uh, uh, randomly off of the street. And people were passionate, and they they wanted change. And I think we saw that CNN debate where Rubio got pushed and. Dana, Dana Lash got uh, cut off, and I think it was rowdy. It was political theater like I haven't seen, but there was an element of that that was so refreshing because it was like, they're not gonna stand on ceremony. They are literally, they're living a life day to day where they have to consider, uh, uh, or they, they have actual drills in case somebody comes in uh, with a gun, and, and, and that's unacceptable, and I think we have grown complacent, and to watch uh, kids uh, not want to wait is something that I think is a little bit of a wake-up call for everybody else. Is it their youth 
that gives them sort of the, the wow factor or the awe factor for us? Or is it youth plus their, their media savvy? I think the media savvy is a big part of it. I, uh, uh, they were able to own the news cycle in a way that only our president has been able to do for the last year. And I think that was, but that's important now. I, the gun debate, it happens, we all, we all roll our eyes, we make jokes, we get frustrated by the fact that uh, something terrible happens and within four days we're talking about something else because the media gets gobbled up because the commander in chief goes on Fox and Within four days? Within four, four hours. Four hours, yeah. yes, right? Four days, if, if we're lucky, we're still talking about this. <laughs> and I think what was incredible about Parkland is afterwards they were able to own that narrative, keep it going, organize, uh, 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 ha organize a walkout, and then overall a march later on. And so I think that's where people of perhaps our generation are looking at that. It's like, oh, you know how to communicate in 2018. You're using that, and you also have like a moral clarity that perhaps other people don't have. You know, when I interviewed Congressman John Lewis for the podcast a couple of, of weeks ago, I asked him why did he think greatness jumped five decades oh. because the Parkland students are the age that John Lewis and the Birmingham kids when they were marching they're the, the, the same age and yet I think in an interview you talked about how when you were in high school you weren't doing anything like and I know I sure wasn't doing anything like yeah. this what happened to us <laughs> I know <laughs> but I mean th th these things were happening when we were kids yeah yeah I, I for some reason I mean it is true. When I, when I was 17 and 18, I wasn't politically engaged. I wasn't as curious. Um, I didn't feel like I had a place where my voice could be heard or would be heard. I, but I mean, if, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if like that, that wasn't me. I wasn't sitting on the sidelines like, why won't somebody invite me in? I don't think I had the awareness. And I think what we have now is, you know, perhaps it is our climate. We are we are energized right now. I think America is energized on both sides. It's a political atmosphere where people feel like America is changing, some for the better, some for the worse. Uh, and I think you have the youth that sees that, and now they actually have the tools to communicate with that. Mm -hmm. So Eric on Twitter asks, um, you show remarkable restraint. How do you and your correspondents manage to keep a straight face or not scream at the fringe people you encounter? <laughs> I mean, that's a great question, Eric. Thanks. Oh, there he is right there in the front oh, row. He you. wants to make sure he gets credit for that, that question. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Eric. I, I love that we're completely devoid of human interaction right now. <laughs> Eric is four feet away, <laughs> was forced to tweet that question through the internet right. into Jonathan's iPad. All right, Eric from somewhere, Wants to communicate with us. <laughs> well, Eric, great question. Tweet that at Eric if you don't mind. <laughs> I do think like uh, it's, it's important for us to to hold character whenever we're interacting with with people on any side, and so I think like that's where uh, that's where you, you you go in with a clear point of view. You know what your character's point of view is. You anticipate what might come from that other side, and you try to stay in it because I think like if if it if like like I said earlier, if it feels like we're all just chumming it up and laughing with one another, then uh, then it, it doesn't have any satirical bite. And so for us, it's like it's it's part acting challenge, but it's also like research knowing like what is the point of view that you're reflecting and what is the point of view that you're uh, responding to. So to these fringe characters that you're talking, the people who you're talking to, do they know what your show is? Like why, why would they want to come on a show that's going to be set them up to be the 
butt of a joke. Well, this, this would happen at The Daily Show as well. And uh, you talk to people, and people say, like, why did that person come on the show? And I think, I think it's two things. I think people, people love to be on television. Like, a camera is something that <laughs> human beings are drawn towards. Uh, and two, people think they can win. And so, so people would recognize me. They might completely disagree. And they're like, but I, I want my point of view to get across. I want to be on TV, and I think I can beat you at that. Uh, and so they engage in those conversations. So I would go to Trump rallies, and some people wouldn't know who I was. Some people would and would be like, yes, I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to get that point across. Uh, and I was surprised it would happen at The Daily Show where like, we would do a field piece where from perhaps, many, from perhaps many people's point of view, you'd be like, that person, they said the craziest thing. They said that uh, you know, babies should all have uh, machetes. You're like, that's crazy. Why would that person say that on TV? And you'd hear a response from that person. It was like, oh, I thought that interview went well. I, I said babies should have machetes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, right, that is your point of view. Like, that's so, so you don't necessarily see it as like a gotcha moment or that you were made to look foolish. You see it as like your point of view is out there, and the person asking the question was the foolish one. So this is like a conversation between Earth One and Earth Two. <laughs> yeah. Well, will the two worlds ever meet up again? Like, how is it possible that we are living among other people who we both look at the same sky? I see clear sky, and the other one sees helium balloons. Well, I mean, I do think I do think we're seeing we're seeing that uh, that spread becoming even more and more wide. Uh, Again, not to not to not to put it on uh, what has been happening as of late, but I think we're seeing these basic institutions getting torn down, and the idea of like shared facts, shared realities. This is what this character traffics in is like alternative facts, anti-mainstream, like anti-elitist, anti-academia. Uh, when you can choose your own facts, and it feels like you can choose your own narrative, you can live in your own echo chamber. So, so yeah. So that that little piece that you see right now, I think it's different than seeing it five years ago because mm -hmm. we aren't even agreeing uh, if you know if climate change is real or not, uh, or if Barack Obama was born in America or Kenya. Like those are still disputed by two very different realities right. in a way that 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 makes watching entertainment or even uh, or you know or a comedy show it makes people watch it from very different eyes mm -hmm. natalie on twitter asks <laughs> natalie where are you is natalie actually in the room oh she is here she's right there <laughs> bing, bing. <laughs> well natalie asked to what extent do you think late night tv has the power to affect people's opinions and or government action well i think you know we uh I think it has. I think late night has shifted dramatically in the last few years. People used to turn to late night TV as like uh, a way to escape. I think now it's sort of a way to like synthesize the chaos of the day. And so uh, you see it much like uh, politics didn't used to be in late night TV. Now it feels like it's all over late night television. And so for us, we approach it from we are we are passionate people. We are a writers' room full of comedians, uh, uh, researchers who have worked in government and worked in nonprofits, who have worked in academia. But we know that what we do is we have to approach it with our skill set, which is like, let's, let's see it through an angle of, of comedy. I, I don't want to approach this like an activist. I want to approach this as somebody who can editorialize and use the skill set that I have. I think what I hope to do with the show is I hope like, if you see a reflection of something you see in the world and that makes you laugh because you're like, I'm frustrated by that too, you pointed that out, that hopefully that, like, that laughter is showing that you're not alone in your frustration mm. or your excitement. And so like, 
I think, I think that is a step to make us feel like there is community and that there we're, we're all frustrated at similar things, or, or many of us are. And from there, I think, from there it's on us to see if that, that can turn into change. You know, that search for laughter reminds me of a, a bit that you did on the show, on your show, The Opposition, where you were talking about the election of Vladimir Putin, re-election of Vladimir Putin to another term as, as president of Russia. And um, you, had a, you had a good take, and particularly at the end of the clip that you're going to see, uh, I burst out laughing because, well, it was clever. Let's take a look. Russia. It's a tricky place. Some people say they're the bad guys. But me, I'm not so sure. On one hand, they have gulags, which is a hard thing to stomach. But on the other hand, they have goulash, which is a very easy thing to stomach. <laughs> One thing's for sure, though, they know how to pick a winner. Vladimir Putin will lead Russia for another six years. He cruised to an expected victory in yesterday's presidential election, winning nearly 77 percent of the vote. It's his biggest mandate yet for what will be his fourth term. Woo! That's a hell of a win! Putin got 77 percent of the vote, and it would have been higher if it weren't for all the illegal votes in New Hampshire. <laughs> America, take note. This is how a nation can come together beneath the rule of a strong leader. This win is huge, no question. But leave it to the MSM to ask those very questions where there are none. Critics suggest opposing candidates were handpicked by Putin himself. And these videos, verified by the AP, appear to show voters depositing multiple ballots. Critics say the entire election was a sham. Whoa, they see a sham, I see a wow. <laughs> See, that got a hearty laugh also from Eric. <laughs> you know, I, did, I did the same thing. Thank, thank you, Eric. But I, I just used that as an excuse because I wanted to show that clip. But it does um, tie into a question that Kelsey asked on Twitter. Kelsey, are you here? Well, someone who's not here okay. is okay. asked the okay. question. They, we well, thank you, Kelsey. She asks, who are your biggest inspirations in the world of, of comedy? In the world of comedy? Well, I would say uh, when I uh, got interested in comedy, I was interested in sketch comedy. And so uh, Monty Python was a big inspiration right off the bat. The world of absurdism got me into kind of like Second City and what have you. Um, uh, Mike Nichols, Nichols and May. Uh, when I started doing comedy, uh, a little bit more political comedy, John Stewart was obviously a huge one. Um, give it up for John. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, somebody who's both uh, articulate and funny and powerful. And so, you know, I had the, the luxury to get to work for John and work under John and work under Trevor as well. And so, like, now as somebody who gets to run my own show, I definitely look at uh, not only John and Trevor as people who are inspiring because they're able to grapple with the news of the day, but beyond that as like my comedy inspirations are also boss inspirations. And so that's what I'm starting to pull from of like how, how, is, how was John able to balance the chaos of the world and 80 people underneath him to make something work? And how was Trevor able to like take something that already existed and make it new? Um, so then speaking, speaking of, of your comedic inspirations. So you have these, these people who inspire you in your comedy, and you're doing a show that is on the news. And folks are wondering, in, including uh, Jenna. Are you here, Jenna? 
What's Are up? you with Eric? <laughs> no, I mean, Jenna's sitting next to Eric. But she was asking, to, asking for you to walk through your day and talk about your, your news consumption habits. Um, what do you wake up watching and reading? What's your team's process during the day as you get closer to showtime? It's, uh, well, for, for me, I usually wake up, I wake up around five and I, if, if, if it's a midweek, I look over some of the pitches that came in late last night. We're pitching throughout the day, but I kind of hit a, after like four, I'm in rewrite, so I'm not seeing the new stuff that came in. So I catch up, I also catch up on the news. So I, I try to read the post, I try to read the times, and then at around six, between, like between six and seven, 7.30, I, I do the Trump diet. I watch some <laughs> Fox and Friends, uh, some New Day, and some Morning Joe. Um, uh, and then head into work. When I get into work, uh, I just I, I, I check the the fringier pages of the Breitbart's and the Infowars just to see narrative of like what do they care about today? I'm, I'm seeing what the left is maybe caring about. I'm seeing what cable news is caring about. But what are these fringier sites? What are their headlines? Uh, we then go into a morning meeting with an idea of the stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, watch some clips from what happened throughout the day or, or what happened last night, kind of piece together what we think our show is going to look like, and then we start writing. And so uh, from that point, we, like, we get first drafts done. It's a, the writers on my show are incredible. Like We break out what we think the story is going to be, but then they have about an hour and a half to write that story. We get it back, we give notes, we rewrite. Uh, and we're also keeping an eye on the news. People who aren't writing are pitching on what could be later in the day, what could be tomorrow. Wherever we can get ahead, it, it, like, it's, all a, it's all a time game. And things change so quickly. So it's, you're, you're constantly looking at stuff like, is this more of an evergreen story that not everybody's going to bite off? Great, let's get this thing going. Because maybe if we can have two days to work on this, it's going to be that much better. Uh, this is something we need to do now. Let's, let's work on that. Like, decisions like that are being made all the way up until rehearsal at 3 and then rewrite at uh, like 3.45 all the way up until our show. And so I kind of go into that bubble where I'm not, I'm not getting news. We have people, we've had to add people coming in with like updates every hour and a half of like, is there anything we need to know to change the story we have or to throw something out? So that continues to happen throughout the day. And give us an idea of the, the layout. Where is all of this happening? Are you all in a giant open mosh pit with yeah. you at the center? <laughs> or are you sequestered in a corner office, walled or glass, so people can see you? Oh, I don't let people see me. No, I am. Uh... <laughs> We have a we have a, 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 a we have a, a big office where we all get into one big room. Coming from the world of improv, like it's really important for for me to set up like a brainstorming, uh, a, a really open place for brainstorming. So we have one big room where for that morning meeting we're just saying yes to ideas to try to get as many ideas out as we can. Then people kind of go off into one big open area. I go into my office and kind of try to get ahead on stuff. So. Basically, I have, I have meetings throughout the day where I'm getting field pieces going, and then I come back into, uh, basically, you, you keep going into smaller rooms. Big room in the big <laughs> part of the day, smaller room, and then when we get into rewrite, it's something The Daily Show did, and something we do as well. It's like you try to make the rewrite as small as it can be, where it's like, it's me, a couple writers, the head writer, and a production, a couple production people, and then we just go line by line and do it. So you, you, you start with as many ideas, and you just, you just narrow it down. People wise and idea wise until you get that final show. So you are in town because it's White House Correspondents Association dinner time. Mm -hmm. Nerd prom. Nerd prom as it's called. As it's called. This is going to be your first one. 
what are you what are you looking for? What are your expectations first? <laughs> uh, well, I've, uh, I've, I've heard rumblings that this is, a, this is a unique and wild and strange weekend. And so getting invited to go here, I was very excited. I wanted to see it. Uh, my, uh, former, uh, my, uh, my former office mate, uh, Hassan Minaj, was here last year and had a wonderful time and did an incredible job. Uh, so I've, I, I heard great stuff. <laughs> I got a list of what people do here. It's like, oh great, it's gonna be a lot, of, uh, a lot of talk about politics, it's gonna be one big dinner. And I was like, oh no, it's all cocktail parties and uh, people just getting drunk for three days, it looks like. <laughs> so I guess my expectation is, I think I wanna see uh, Chris Hayes vomiting into a garbage pail somewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, well, there is the MSNBC after party, so you might get your, you might that's get your what I, I guess that's where I'm setting the bar. Um, who? <laughs> That's pretty low. <laughs> yeah, you think but, is that like I'm going to see that tonight? Are you, I mean, you, I mean, things things get started when the first time I went to the to the to Nerd Prom, it was just Tammy's brunch and then the dinner. Mm -hmm. So that when you saw people at the dinner, they were dressed up, they were refined. Now, because it's it, it's like four days of just as you said, cocktail parties. By the time you get to the dinner, people are drunk, messy, but dressed up. Yes. <laughs> so who are you, now that you're going to be in, in, in Washington, in nerd prom, who do you most want to meet? Well, Kellyanne's going to be there, right? I'm sure I'm going to hang out with Kellyanne. <laughs> I, think, I think that'll be really fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be easy. Can you introduce me? I, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I know. I, I, I mean, I... Uh, Okay. <laughs> okay. A anybody else? <laughs> well, if I don't get to see uh, Kelly, I mean, I'd love to see anybody from my from my Trump morning. I I, I love my I love my morning cruise. So give me a Chris Cuomo. You know, I, I I'd love to be grilled by Chris Cuomo over a beer. He seems like he'd be fun. Give me a Joe and Mika. I'd love to watch that from afar. Uh, <laughs> and Fox and Friends. Oh, you know, I I I'd, lo I'd love I'd love a good Ducey hang. You know, <laughs> just give me. Me and Ducey drinking white wine at the end of the night, I think that's what I'd love to do. Uh, which, po uh, which members of Congress would you most like to like, roll up on buttonhole? Are those negative things or positive things? Rolling up and... I, I, hey, however you want to take it. Earth one, Earth two. <laughs> oh, wow, Jesus, yeah. Earth one, Earth two. I think we've had a Cory Booker on the show, and uh, mm -hmm. who I really think is a thoughtful, interesting guy. You had uh, him throwing computers. You guys are throwing yeah, we, computers. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we have people the on the show, we, 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 make, we make him work for it. So right. he's a tough guy. He used to play football, so he can, th he can whip computers. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to check in with Cory Booker. I'd love to check in with Ted Lieu, who was interesting yesterday with the Diamond and Silk uh, in, in Congress, which that is fascinating for me. Um, which Ted Lieu or Diamond and Silk? All of it. I think <laughs> I think Diamond and Silk is a fascinating, uh, fascinating characters in this this new world who have now been thrust onto this stage here. Which we covered them on the show uh, recently. Um, and I think in the end, I mean, I think like everybody, there's one person you want to hang out with, talk with, pick their brain, and and see them do Simpsons impressions. I think. Uh, I think we all want to hang out with Ted Cruz, right? <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, so I think, not like, where I thought I think, you were oh, going. Oh no, I think we're I think we're dancing around it, but I think like yeah, that's that's the bell of the ball. So that's that's what I'm looking forward well, to. Well, in all seriousness, if you were to see Ted Cruz, and you're like, oh, Senator, 
What would you What would you ask him? I would ask him why Why did you write for Time 100? Why did you write uh, a glowing review of Donald Trump for the way in which he treated you during the primary season? Like, does tribalism really does tribalism really trump any kind of self-respect? Uh, uh, I would I would love to know. <laughs> if uh, now the president's not going to be there for the second year in a row, but if he were to be there and you got a chance to talk to him, what would you say? I would say, when's it gonna end? <laughs> Are we close? <laughs> Are you done yet? <laughs> Just please. Uh, <laughs> I'm exhausted. I don't think he wants to do it anymore. I think he's. I think he's over it. I think we talked about this on the show a little bit, and it was so fascinating with all of this. This, this Ronnie Jackson hullabaloo, like his breakdown of of Ronnie Jackson and how like he's a good guy, but you know what? What's he even doing this for? They're just gonna roll, roll him through the mud, you know? Like he doesn't need this. He's better off. It's like it's Donald Trump talking to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I really think that's where he's at right now, and so I'd like to look him in the eyes and see if, if I see that uh, uh, from a distance. I don't want to get too close to that guy. <laughs> the, the odors, you know his diet. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Anyone else? I think if, if I hit those guys, I'm going to feel pretty good. You know, that feels, like, that feels like a good weekend. Is there a lot of interaction with the politicians or does it feel most media? Do the media connect with the politicians? Is this a chance for there to be some harmony or are there, there are two different cliques? Uh, I think you have the wrong expectations. It's not about harmony. No, it's not. There's, about a lot of, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of talking. You can walk up to anybody, talk to them about, yeah. about anything, media, politicians, whatever. That's the, that's the beauty of the event. That's also one of the things that uh, a lot of media critics have a problem with. Sure. That there's all that there's all this coziness. But for you, being being your first time, you get to see it. You get to see it in action. I am I am fascinated by it. I it, it does see, at first it feels weird that I would be there. It's a it's a bad move on everybody's part. Uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't make anybody look good on either side. Uh, but 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 the idea of like how does the how does the media interact with the, the politicians on Capitol Hill? Uh, what does socializing look? Is there uh, when like the, the when the lights go off and the drinks get poured? Like is there? Is there some bipartisanship? Is there some some love between both uh, news sources and the people who are creating the news? I think like that to me, I am very curious to be a little bit of a fly on the wall uh, for all of this and uh, this weekend because it's it's one thing to ingest the news at home and in a, a comedy studio and watching it. Like the more I've been able to come down to Washington and get more of a feel for how how, how the, the news and the policy is made, like the the more fascinating it is. Jordan Klepper. I got it right. You Host of Comedy Central's <laughs> The Opposition, thank you very much for being here. Jonathan, thank you. And thank you all very much for being here. You can watch clips of this uh, maybe in just a few minutes. They're very quick in the video department on WashingtonPost.com slash video. Thank you very much again, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.
Hey, smart speaker owners. If you like K-pop with Jonathan Capehart, you should also try The Daily 202's Big Idea, a daily political analysis show from national political correspondent James Homan. The Daily 202's Big Idea is available as a flash briefing on Amazon Echo, Google Home, and Apple HomePod. To learn how to listen and to find out what else you can do on your smart speakers, visit WashingtonPost.com slash voice. The Washington 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 Post. Post.